The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And good evening. An absolutely gorgeous day in the Midwest here. Low 70s, sunny, some dotted clouds in the sky, almost reminiscent of those Saratoga clouds you see before the rain comes each meet. Of course, uh, we're coming off uh, Kentucky Derby and Oaks weekend. Uh, we're going to have plenty to talk about there. Uh, we've got uh, Jim Gluckson, who for so many years has been working with the Breeders' Cup. Uh, he is the PR man extraordinaire. If it happens, he knows about it. He's going to give us some insights into the kind of the history of the Breeders' Cup and where, where they're headed and uh, how the, the races are formulated, what, what his role is and how he got in the game. And then a uh, winning ponies favorite, Tom Lamara, the news editor of the Blood Horse, uh, will be with us. Obviously, plenty of news. Um, we will be t- we will be talking Kentucky Derby. I know all of the marketing guys and PR guys are having fun with. I'll have another. Uh, certainly, a name that uh, you can play with in your advertising campaign. I know we are at the uh, Tiki Bar at River Downs, where that'll be the most popular phrase all day. I'm sure, not only at the Tiki Bar, but probably at the betting windows too. Uh, I want to share with you a little uh, personal aside. Something that happened today. Uh, I was uh, invited down uh, to meet a, a dear old uh, friend and his wife at Claiborne Farm this afternoon. And that is one Anthony Bergantino. Now, a lot of people might not know who Anthony Bergantino is, but you do know who Tony Leonard is, one of the most respected photographers in all of the world. Uh, He probably graced uh, more covers uh, of the Blood Horse uh, than any other one. You saw more derby-winning pictures of his than any single photographer in the history of the sport. Well, Tony's 89 now. He doesn't get around as well. Uh, He's in the Homestead uh, Nursing Home in Lexington with his uh, wife, Adele. And uh, through attorney Rebecca Nazer, who's been handing a lot of their legal matters, uh, she arranged to uh, get them uh, out of the homestead today and to meet us at Claiborne Farm. And it was just a, it was a fantastic afternoon. Uh, it wasn't humid. We could, we could go in the sun. Uh, the people at Claiborne could not have been more gracious. Uh, it was just an enjoyable uh, afternoon. Uh, one of the big horses that they brought out, and I mean big, was uh, Blame. And uh, actually, Tony got to feed a peppermint uh, to Blame from his wheelchair. And what a kind and handsome horse. And he is huge. And he went right up to Tony's uh, wheelchair and rubbed up against him. And t- Tony got to, got to pet on him. Uh, just a fantastic day and a, a very touching moment. As uh, If you know anything about Tony's photography, you know that he is the man that chronicled 
uh, secretariat more than any other photographer. Uh, most of the famous photos you see of Secretariat were taken by Tony, and quite frankly, Secretariat probably would not have won the Triple Crown had it not been for t- Tony. And you say, why? Well, he and Lucian Lauren were walking over to a photo spot at Churchill Downs to take a picture of him, and they had to go through kind of a narrow path. Tony stepped in front of Secretariat, and in doing so, stepped into a manhole cover, breaking a couple ribs and hurting his arm. Now, that would have been secretariat if it wasn't tony leonard but anyhow uh if you if you'd like to learn more about tony and uh, just kind of see a lot of his work and the many fans he has you can join him on facebook uh there's a, a site called support tony leonard and the protection of his legacy and uh, that's what uh, many of us have been trying to do is make sure that his negatives of all those years of, of shooting the famous race horses at the best farms in kentucky uh were taken care of and uh so support Tony Leonard, the protection of his legacy, on Facebook. If you feel like it, go on over there. Uh, you'll enjoy it. Well, uh, talking about uh, class acts, uh, we've got one right here in the Cincinnati area that had a close call yesterday. After working the horses out in the morning at River Downs, uh, Perry Utes, who uh, likes to ride his iron horse whenever the weather's good, was heading home to take a break. He was up on I-675 going 65 miles an hour when a car came over two paths and knocked him right out of control. He slid along with the bike for a while, and then finally he parted with the bike and it just instinctively got into his jockey crouch and rolled uh, across two lanes uh, onto the emergency lane. A car behind him slowed down and kind of protected him, and uh, it was uh, he you know, got up and he just said, wow, I started feeling everything, and everything felt pretty good. He said, boy, and then he looked down at his bike and said, uh, shoot, boy, that that could have been me. And he said, well, that's no big big deal. Uh, You know, I can get parts for the bike, but I can't get parts like this, pointing to his legs and hips. So what a gutsy guy. 57 years old. Uh, He's been the perennial leading rider at River Downs. Uh, He just uh, finished his 27th track title last season uh, when he won by 52 victories. And he is only 34 wins away right now. He's at 5,860 of passing Hall of Fame jockey Jerry Bailey. Uh, what a guy. He'll be, it, once that happens, he'll become the 17th leading rider in the number of wins in the history of the sport. And, of course, uh, there has been no conclusive truth to the rumor that it was Jerry Bailey that was driving the car. Well, speaking of uh, of a little bit of trouble, we certainly had some in the Derby. I'll get to that. Uh, but before we get to Derby talks, it's ladies first. And uh, if you were listening on Winning Ponies last week, uh, yours truly uh, gave out a horse that he really liked because Larry Jones was training this horse, and it just seemed like a now horse right now. And uh, that was Believe You Can. And Rosie Napravnik became the first female rider to win the Kentucky Oaks aboard Believe You Can, uh, besting Broadway's Alibi and Grace Hall. And uh, so uh, Rosie came up lilies in there. And uh, if you did uh, take uh, my advice on the Oaks anyhow and not the Derby, uh, the payoff, $29.80. Well, in the Kentucky Derby, uh, you know, there's, uh, we always say sometimes it's not the best horse uh, that wins, uh, but the horse that has the best trip. Well, uh, get, get, getting the best trip for sure was I'll Have Another. And speaking of jockeys, Mario Gutierrez 
was just fantastic. Uh, he was born in 1986 to a poor family in Veracruz, uh, Mexico. He started riding when he was 12 years old in match races for his trainer father, Mario Sr. Sounds like that's their version of Louisiana. Uh, but Mario uh, Gutierrez uh, came in from Hastings and uh, made his name, and uh, people are going to remember this guy from ever. It was just a very, very well-judged ride. Uh, was a sixth, seventh, mid-pack. Uh, went just four wide to, to get out of the, the way of horses and went on again to, to win by one and a half lengths. Now, speaking of trouble, the, the trouble in the derby, if, if you had, an, had a horse, you probably had an excuse. There were only about three horses that, that, that didn't. Uh, briefly, uh, Dullahan, who ended up running third in the race, had to rally from 11th, uh, broke in and bumped Union Rags, was in tight entering the first turn when reserved, and then came seven wide into the stretch. Then we have Went the Day Well, who finished fourth. Uh, he was bumped at the start, and, uh, then, uh, had to go seven wide into the stretch while closing well. Creative Cause was in close quarters while three wide entering the first turn and made an eight wide run on the second turn. Then we go to Liaison, who bumped with Daddy Knows Best after entering mid-stretch. Of course, Union Rags, a lot of people were on Union Rags, uh, and he just had the trip from hell. Um, Union Rags was uh, bumped right out of the gate. Uh, then he uh, was squeezed back, took up once on the second turn behind Daddy Longlegs, and then swung to the outside for the drive when attempting to split rivals in upper stretch. Did not get there. Hanson, not too much of an excuse, but it says he was carried in early. Uh, Daddy knows best, was steadied when forced in early. Uh, it was bumped in mid-stretch and tired. Optimizer, steady to approaching the stretch. Alpha, awkward at the start and race six wide into the stretch. El Padrino, rank when breaking slowly, roughed up between rivals near the half-mile marker, and then he was done. Done talking, was in tight at the start, and then came in to soundly bump El Padrino near the half-mile marker. And uh, then we had Gemologist, who was my, my, my pick. It didn't do much. Uh, Gemologist drifted out at the start, came in carrying several rivals uh, soon after, and just faded. Uh, having a legitimate uh, excuse was uh, Take Charge India. A lot of people thought that, uh, you know, Calvin Bow Rail was going to inherit the rail, which he did, and uh, not much speed on the inside of him. Uh, but uh, Take Charge India, as it turns out, did have an injury in, in the Derby. And I have to say that that was his excuse. Of course, uh, both Rich Ng and uh, Jenny Reese were big fans of uh, Take Charge Indy uh, in, in the Derby. So it was a rough one for us winning Pony Handicappers, unless you played the Kentucky Oaks, of which we came home paying $29.80. A great undercard, uh, too, of course, in the Twin Spires Turf Sprint. Bridgetown was favored with Johnny V up, but rallying from 10th was great attack in Joel Rosario and got up by three-quarters of a length at 4-1. to one. What was the best race of the day? Some people, of course, would have to say the Kentucky Derby. A lot of people uh, would say that it was 
the Churchill Downs stakes. It was only a grade two, but it was Amazombie and Shackelford. Those two fighting it down. It's so great to see these horses staying in training, the older horses. And this time, Amazombie, though you know he loves Churchill Downs and won the Breeders' Cup there that day, uh, could, could not get up over Shackelford. He did exchange head bobs with him, but Shackelford went on with Jesus Castanon in the saddle in a really thrilling race. A rough day for Julian Lee Peru in the Distaff uh, Turf Mile. He had the favorite marketing mix who didn't hit the board. But Johnny V got it done this time aboard Hungry Island for Shug McGahee at odds of just about 6-1. to one. The Humana Distaff, this is a grade one. Got a favorite here at 3-1 to one home, winning by seven. It was Groupie Doll with Rajiv Maraj, the easiest of winners in, again, the... Uh, Humana Distaff stakes there at Churchill. Groupie Doll paying eight twenty is the favorite. You gotta love that. Then in the Grade One Woodford Reserve, another tough day for Julian Le Peru, who's aboard the favorite Tour Lure, ended up seventh, getting the top spot from Flag Fall to that's all. Horse by the name of Little Mike, ridden by Big Joe Bravo. So that's a look at the Kentucky Derby, the Oaks, and the Undercard on Saturday. Uh, it was uh, just a, a great day of racing. It's going to be very interesting because of all the trouble that we heard of in the Derby. A lot of people are not going to be dodging. I'll have another who's just going to jog up to the track. One horse that will not be in the field, though, is Union Rags. Union Rags is going to pass the, the Preakness. Um, Mike Matz airing on the side of uh, taking it easy. Could possibly show up in New York in the Belmont Stakes. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking to... Jim Gluckson from New York, New York, All Things Breeders' Cup. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned on Winning Ponies. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. When it comes to youth and high school football, listen each week to Coach Al Gross at First and Ten Football. Coach covers vital topics relating to the latest trend on a national level. Join Coach as he interviews personalities from the NFL, NCAA, and the top high school coaches from around the country. Catch all the interviews and get in-depth information online at www.firstand10football.com. Your national resource for youth and high school football. First and Ten Football is... Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports. If you're looking for a radio show about boxing, you usually can't find one until you stop by the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to Outside the Ring with former world lightweight champion and U.S. Olympian David Diaz. We'll deliver the knockout punches with our guests as we go inside the minds of today's top fighters. We'll throw in discussion of other sports as well from time to time. Outside the Ring with David Diaz airs every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time 
Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, welcome back. Up next in the lineup is is going to be Jim Gluckson, and uh, Jim's a, a gentleman I've got to know a long time back. I think we actually uh, met at a race called the Budweiser Breeders' Cup uh, at Little Old River Downs back when that series was going. I'm going to quiz Jim on uh, you know the kind of the, the the history of the Breeders' Cup because th- this guy has uh, been working in the thoroughbred industry since 1986. Uh, he's basically the publicist extraordinaire on behalf of the the Breeders' Cup. Uh, he has all the media relation responsibilities. He's on steering committees, uh, including the Eclipse Awards. Uh, he's the executive producer of the Eclipse Awards program. Uh, he's a, a native New Yorker who uh, went uh, by way of Miami University to uh, mostly girls' school, Skidmore College. Very smart guy. It tells me how intelligent that Jim Gluckson really was. But uh, I know that the fact that he was at Miami University, just like my son Casey, that was the first time he ever got to go to a Kentucky Derby. It was when he came down uh, with, with his friends uh, from Miami University. I won't go on with the rest of his, uh, his pedigree here and all of his experience in sports marketing. I'll let him do that himself. Jim Gluckson, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, John. It's uh, it's great to be on your program, especially after an exciting uh, weekend at Churchill Downs for the uh, Kentucky Derby and all the great races that uh, took place over the uh, over the two days. Yeah, it really was. It really was great. Well, listen, before we start talking about what happened now, let's talk about what happened then. Uh, I, I know you was a very, I think, intelligent, uh, savvy guy. And uh, what the heck are you doing in racing? What got what, what got the the bug in you? I watched a lot of racing on television. I think that's the, the first thing is my dad, uh, Herb Luxon, he was a great man who taught me a lot about sports, to follow sports. And he said, watch this Kentucky Derby. And this was a long time ago. This is about, uh, I would say, 1968 when Forward Pass uh, faced Dancer's Image in the Kentucky Derby back then. And I said, how do you know who's going to win? They're all brown. How can you tell? And these announcers would talk about these horses, and, and I'd say, well, how do they know? And invariably, the, the, the horses they talked about in the, in the warm-up were the ones that ran well. And I said, this is very exciting. And all these people here, they're betting on these horses. And I'm saying, I, I said, this is a lot of fun, and they're like great athletes. So I think I'll hang in there and follow this, these horses. And then as I got older and watched a lot of racing on TV, I was fortunate enough to, when I was at Miami, to be only two and a half hours from Churchill Downs, uh, in Oxford, Ohio, and drove down with a couple of my friends from my dorm in a blue duster nice. and camped out outside of Churchill Downs. You pay five dollars to sleep to get uh, to sleep on someone's lawn uh, with everybody else in your gang for five bucks. The next morning, you woke up and you paid five bucks to get into the infield at Churchill Downs, and you ran like hell to a position uh, to get a space of ground where you sat for the next eight and a half nine hours. And mine was right near the flagpole. Uh, all I could see of the Derby that day, and by the way, back then, all it was was beer, 
about 20 mutual windows and uh, very uh, dry hot dogs uh, <laughs> back then. And um, all I could see was the hat on Jacinto Vasquez go by a foolish pleasure um, uh, as he won the Derby that year. But I said, this is something special. There are a lot of people here. And I was sort of hooked on the whole thing. It was a great deal of excitement. And then I followed, uh, just continued to follow the sport and that we had a great program in New York. And again, television was very important, called The Race of the Week, which was produced out of New York by uh, Marvin Sugarman Productions and later Hughes Sports. And the hosts were great. Fred Campasello was the announcer. Dave oh, Johnson yeah. also participated in the show. Charles C. Canty and Frank Wright, uh, who everybody, people knew who I was on CBS years later. These were great teachers of the sport, and there was a great inventory of horses that you could learn about from week to week. And probably the one with the greatest influence, believe it or not, was Forgo, the great gelding for uh, Martha Gary, and um, the one horse of the year three consecutive years, and raced quite often, and became a TV star in his own right. And um, I continued uh, to gather a large inventory of horses and races, and going to going to the races was a uh, was a lot of fun on the big weekends in in New York. Also, uh, the most important book I read about racing, as I think many people would know, and its perfect name was uh, right around the show. It's called Picking Winners, written by Andy Byer. It was oh, published yeah. around 1975, and that was a groundbreaking book for me as well in explaining how to read past performances and explaining the game, and Andy did a, a brilliant job. And later on in the New York Times, Stephen Christ uh, wrote very well on racing. It was very instructive. Uh, in the early 80s when he um, had that position there. So there's uh, some influences. And as fortunately enough, uh, I mean, to ramble on here, when I became a professional um, to work in the Breeders' Cup, uh, I can always say that the most important person for me uh, in, in the profession of the journalism was Mr. Joe Hirsch, who was the executive columnist for many years at Daily Racing for me. He was one of my mentors, and it was a pleasure to work for him, excuse me, had to work with him, and uh, learn the game from him and, and, and its great history. Um, so I was very fortunate to get involved in, in this sport, uh, and um, I think that uh, what really uh, took place after I got out of college, uh, when I went to uh, work in other sports, um, in sports marketing, uh, this company called Sports Marketing and Television International, SMTI, uh, had the Breeders' Cup business uh, to begin with their, as the agency for the Breeders' Cup through their connections with John Nehrud, who was one of the founding members of the Breeders' Cup. So that's where my relationship with the Breeders' Cup began in 1986. And yes, you're right, that summer, it was the 4th of July weekend, it was the uh, River Downs Budweiser Breeders' Cup. It was a very good grass race with a big field that uh, that came in that day. And uh, I, I'm trying to remember the name. I think the horse was named Top Socialite, I believe, who won who won the race that day, but I, I, I can't yeah, recall. You're good. you're good. Okay, but it was a lot of fun, and it was, uh, it was a good, very good experience, and uh, learning, traveling the country, and, and, and meeting the media, and meeting the fans, and listening to what fans want out of the sport. And um, I think that that's one of the things that we've tried to do very well in racing, is trying to provide our fans with more information about how to bet, and more information to make careful choices about the, who to bet on and to create more wagers. And we have done a good job with that over the years among you know, many difficult obstacles we've overcome. And uh, we've worked very hard on that. I, I believe that the racetracks and race organizations have done a very good job in that respect. And I think betters are more armed than they ever have been with, with information, sometimes too much, where they try to split hairs and making choices like we just found out about the Derby. 
Um, but I, I think that for the most part, we've made you know great advances in that particular area over uh, over the generations. Well, Jim, you've been you've been in the game to see it to see it slump a little bit. I've been extremely encouraged over the past, I'll say, six months or so. Uh, as I do this show, I get to to read national news at the, at the top of the hour, and I don't know how many tracks have closed. Uh, obviously, the most recent, uh, Oaklawn and Keeneland uh, Aqueduct, uh, that are all closing out with with, with an upswing. Uh, I think this has a, obviously a lot to do with Americans, um, even though we're still in a sputtering economy, feeling a little bit more confident about spending money. Uh, obviously, the leisure dollar is going to suffer when you have to feed and clothe the family, uh, as what happened in 2008 and 2009, and when when the economy hit the skids and it continued on in the following years when wagering was down. I think that perhaps an unscientific uh, assessment would be that people were just tired of, uh, they had saved enough money to uh, decide to go back and play the races a little bit more than they had in the past. I'm not certainly going overboard, but feeling comfortable and more confident in doing that. And I think that that's probably uh, indicative of the leisure dollar in itself. So uh, this year, yes, has been very encouraging signs uh, of, of, tr- of tracks making a comeback, even the small tracks such as um, Delta Downs, Louisiana had, had had a big year as far as um, their wagering numbers uh, that, that came back. So uh, it's an encouraging sign, and we just uh, look forward to uh, better news down the road as the weather warms up. All right, now you're you know so in, uh, involved with, with with the Breeders' Cup, which means that at times you're going to be involved in in controversial conversation, uh, whether it be the discussion of. Uh, what track should have it? What track surface it should be played on? Uh, should there is there a home court advantage for for some people? Uh, you know, uh, have we expanded it uh, to to too many uh, divisions and too many races? Is it confusing your betters? Uh, you know, as far as making it a two day event, uh, I threw a whole lot at you just now. I'm just wondering what, what seems what seems to be uh, some of the major uh, factors that that the Breeders' Cup is dealing with. Let's just say over the past two three years. Well, I think the ex- the expansion of the race is unquestionably from one to two days from one day of eight races um, back in 2006 to now we are at 15 races held over two days. <clears throat> now, of course, we're at Tantanita Park this year on November 2 and 3, and we are very proud that we are on NBC Sports this year uh, with um, live coverage on NBC Sportsnet on both days. And on NBC, the main network, the Breeders' Cup Classic, will be in prime time between 8 and 9 p.m. Eastern time on November 3rd. Because of all this, I think that I, I would say that the expansion of the event is is largely due to the fact that we have a number of horsemen and breeders that have a, a wide range of, of horses uh, domestically and internationally that want to see their progeny run in various divisions. And this is why we have added more of these races, especially two-year-old events uh, that we have, uh, adding, of course, a juvenile sprint last year. Uh, but having previous years hitting a juvenile turf and a juvenile Phillies turf and races such as uh, the turf sprint and uh, separate races, separate race for uh, Phillies, for female sprinters, and, of course, the dirt mile that was also added, and a marathon for long-distance horses. Um, these are events that we hope to fill with a lot of horses, and we have over the, over the last couple of years um, I think that that was at Churchill Downs had very large fields. It was very important 
We did not have as large a field as Anita and previous to that in 2008 and 2009. And with back of the dirt service, I think we'll be able to do that. Um, so I, I think that that's an important aspect of what we're what we're trying to accomplish is making attractive wagering opportunities for the betters and giving the breeders and the owners the horsemen an opportunity to run their their horses in places they think they can win the best. So I I I know that we had it. Yes, there has been a lot of the. Uh, some fans did not like going to the two days. I think that it has worked out very well. Um, we would certainly like to get more opportunities, more wagering in on on Friday uh, than we have uh, in the past. And, of course, we do very well on Saturday. I think those are some of the things that the growth areas we like to see. Um, so I think uh, just starting with that, uh, those those issues about the expansion, um, we you know we're still working very hard on this, but I think that, Due to some growing pains in the first couple of years, I think we've got some more solid footing on the two-day program. All right. Now, Jim, I've only got about two uh, minutes left, but it's still a big question. Um, What's your read on the rotation of the Breeders' Cup? Is it something that should go from east to west, from north to south, so fans in that region get to to see these horses live? I think that we we, uh, the, the plan currently is to um, consider all the options that are uh, out and available to us about where to run. There is a feeling uh, in certain cases that the event should be moved around on uh, an annual basis. Sometimes the scheduling did not work out in that fashion where we ended up running consecutive years in California followed by consecutive years at Churchill Downs in Kentucky. So uh, we have not selected a site for 2013 as yet. We're working on that. But there are those are a number of factors that you have to go in and, and consider uh, for the location, the time of year that you're running in a particular track. And I, I think that the, the point being most, would, most horsemen would prefer to have it moved around so as one part of the country is not favored over the other as far as uh, between each of the parts of the country, east, central, and west. So those are factors that are always considered in uh, in making decisions as to where the event should be held. Well, I, I, I do agree with you. And I'll tell you this, you know, I've had the chance to, to, to watch you uh, work uh, work the room uh, during Breeders' Cup week. Uh, you, you're, you're a fantastic uh, uh general and getting things done I, I never saw one room generate more information for race fans or, or publicists uh, in my entire life i mean the kentucky derby and the oaks yes they're big races but when you're doing the breeders cup it's like having 10 kentucky derbies and and you're trying to say something about every horse and every uh, interest that's involved and that uh, you, you do a sensational job of coordinating all that jim John, thank you so much. It's very flattering and I greatly appreciate it. And we'll try to continue to do as fine a job this year as we've done in the past. Now, I'm sure it'll only get better. Ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, Jim Gluckson. Uh, he is the uh, Breeders' Cup man extraordinaire. He's in charge of getting all the information out to you in a, uh, a, a factual manner, a quick manner. So when you turn your computer on and find out something happened about an hour ago at the Breeders' Cup, it's because Jim made sure it got it done. So thanks again to, to Jim Gluckson. We're going to take a little bit of a break here, and then uh, we're going to get uh, a read on the Derby from uh, one of our favorite folks out of Lexington, Kentucky. The news editor of the Blood Horse, Tom Lamara. You're listening to winningponies.com.
your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Fantasy Sports is where the action really is. Over 40 million people play Fantasy Sports, but rarely do they get to quiz the experts. Fantasy Insights is the name and the game. Tune in every week as Dish Adams and his guests clue you in on the fantasy football game, what's happening on and off the field, and how it will affect your fantasy team. These experts aren't just beat writers assigned to fantasy football. They live and breathe the game. Tune in to Fantasy Insights with Dish Adams every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the Easy Win Form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and, and with me now, the news editor of uh, one of my uh, favorite magazines slash websites is uh, the Blood Horse. And it's funny, a lot of times the NTRA puts out these bios of, of people every week. Eric, Eric Wing does a great job of putting this together. And you'll see like interviews with Kenny McPeak or uh, Jerry Crawford that we talked to a week or so ago. And they ask them questions, you know, their favorite music, their favorite car, their favorite horse. And a lot of times it's like, favorite thing to do in the morning and I don't, I would have to say 75% of those people say click on bloodhorse.com so my my hats off to to the people at bloodhorse that that put the information together as a matter of fact I I sent them a story last night uh, about uh, I don't know 7 o'clock and by about uh, 7:45 I clicked on it and it was the second story about Perry Utes and his death-defying ride in the Daily Double later that day. You know, I told everybody the story about about Perry Tom, and I think I failed to mention that he came back to River Downs and actually won both ends of the Daily Double yesterday after that car accident. With us now, Tom Lamara. How are we doing, Tom? Okay, John. How are you doing? Dob, doing fine. What a gorgeous Good. day. I got to go down to the Claiborne Farm today and hang out with Tony and Adele Leonard. Uh, got a real up-close look at Blame. Uh, the people down there uh, couldn't have been nicer, and there couldn't have been a prettier day in North America. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's it's really really nice here now. It's a little bit on the cool side, but the weather's supposed to be good through the weekend. So, well, listen, I know you you were down at the Derby. You probably weren't uh, tuned mm-hmm. in earlier. I'm not sure if you were or not, but I, I went over the, the the trouble line of the Kentucky Derby. Now, all these other pages that that I download are one page. the The Kentucky Derby had to be a two pager because of all the horses <laughs> over half the field have trouble lines after their name. I guess that's got to be the reason why they're not ducking. I'll have another in the Preakness, I'm guessing. Yeah, well, um, you know, the race was okay, uh, quite frankly. Um, I was extremely disappointed in the way in the way that the race played out. Um, I didn't pick the winner, which is fine, but um, a lot of horses in that race were way back. Um, a few of them rallied on, which is great, but uh, it just... Um, I don't know. I I expected, you know, like a real thrilling race, and it just didn't materialize, in my opinion. Um, I did pick Union Rags. Um, we all know what happened to him at the start and then on the far turn. And uh, quite frankly, um, I think whoever bet Union Rags will be vindicated at some point. <laughs> um, went the day well, uh, I think, is probably the horse to watch in the Preakness. Um I kind of had a short list of horses who I thought if they won the Derby, they might have a shot at the Triple Crown. I don't think that the winner does, but I may end up beating my words. <laughs> well, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you. There was a couple there. I, I really thought turning for home, a Bodie Meister, I thought, man, are we watching Seattle Slough here? You know, mm-hmm. and he, and he yeah. seemed to have enough distance between himself and the rest of the field. He, he was running on strongly with about three eighths left. But then he hit that final furlong, and I think the, the curse of Apollo picked in, which is that uh, that base yeah. that you get when you run as a two year old. Right. Um, you know, um, the horse ran a, a really, really strong race, but as was pointed out to me, and quite frankly, I didn't pay attention to the actual fractions, but he went like. 23, 24, 25, 26 throughout the race. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily a good sign. Um, if you go back, and I'm sure you know Spend a Buck. Yeah. Because right, I right. believe he won a race at River Downs. Yeah, our cradle. Two year old. But, you know, you watch that race and then you watch this race, and um, I don't see the comparison there. Um, you know, um, so we'll see what happens. I'm still not sold on Bodie Meister, not sold on the winner. Um, so maybe I'm just a pessimist, but uh, that race just didn't do anything for me. So No. How surprised were you that Trinenberg didn't have the lead? I was very surprised. Um, you know, well, the race was handicapped, expecting some kind of a pace war. And quite frankly, you know, a horse loose on fast fractions is not the same as having, you know, a horse neck and neck with another horse through a slower pace, quite frankly. Right, which is what and I thought I, was going to happen with, right, uh, you know, right. perhaps Hanson and uh, uh, exactly. Bodie Meister um, and Trinenberg. I expected, you know, um, at least two horses to be up there. Uh, Trinenberg tracked Bodie Meister, which really changed the complexion of the race. Hanson was in a great spot, I thought. And he, you know, and he just flattened out. Um I'm still, a, you know, I still like that horse. Um, I don't put much stock into horses who run bad in the Derby because, you know, they have a habit of coming back and running big in their next couple starts. So I'm drawing a line through it. 
We'll start over in the Preakness. Um, Union Rags is not running in the Preakness. Um, right. I guess he's going to wait for the Belmont. Uh, Hanson may run in the Preakness, and I think that might be interesting. Well, being a shorter uh, race, well, you know, I think a lot of people assume that 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 uh, because the Belmont's as long as it is, that somehow there's a distance between a mile and a quarter and a mile and a half that the horses race at the Preakness, but it's actually a mile and three sixteenths. Right, right, and you know what? Quite frankly, you know, speed of the mile and a half is fine. You know, um, you know, it all depends on the pace of the race. We've seen many horses uh, who you wouldn't think could run you know, a mile and five-eighths or two miles in these starter handicaps around here, and they wire the field and win by ten. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's just you got to handicap the race that day. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, and again, 20 horses, you're going you're gonna to end up uh, with, with, those, with those trouble lines. Um, Tom, uh, just quickly, uh, I know you were down there, uh, believe you can, certainly made a, a believer out of me. I, I was high in that horse going into the race. Mm-hmm. It just seemed to, to blossom at that time. But it was pretty exciting with uh, Rosie Napravic in the saddle. It gave you guys, uh, sports writers, a lot to write about, too, I think. Yeah, and, you know, um, the Philly won the Fairgrounds Oaks um, legitimately, and uh, I think she paid $29 to win, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, she did, sir. You know, uh, in retrospect, she had as much a shot as everybody else. I went with Grace Hall because um, I thought she was the best. Um, She, you know, had a shot, quite frankly, not the best trip. But uh, on a positive note, uh, my wife gave me money to bet Believe You Can for her. So at least (laughs) she made money on the race. I did not. I did not make money on the race, but Karen did. So. All right. Well, let's. Uh, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll handicap one race from New York, then we'll take a break, and then we'll, we'll go All out right. to two kind of interesting races uh, on different sides of the coast. The race I'm talking about is the Peter Pan. Now, uh, this uh, this race uh, in years past has served as a pretty good uh, jump up to horses uh, in the in the Belmont Stakes, or just some good horses. We're talking about Coastal, uh, you know, Slew of Gold, Danzig. Connection, AP Indy, you know, horses like that, uh, you know, raced in the Peter Pan, and uh, that race will be the feature at Belmont Park this week. Uh, it's a grade two going a mile and an eighth. Um, what do you find interesting about this race, Tom? Well, uh, right now it's a full field. I think there's a couple horses in there that, that uh, would prefer to run in the Preakness, but they're waiting to see if somebody drops out or what they um, – the size of the field will be. Um, we did handicap the, sh- the uh, race on our show on bloodhorse.com this morning. Um, I went with Mark Valeski. Um, the Peter Pan is one and one eighth miles around one turn. Uh, so it's a li- it's really not like handicapping a regular race at one and one eighth miles at Arlington or Churchill or River Downs or wherever because it's one turn. So I kind of look for horses who I think have some speed to stay up close. Um, so I went with Mark Valeski. His work at Churchill Downs the week before the Derby was very good. Uh, the Connections decided, you know what, we don't think that he fits in the Derby. We're going to wait for the Peter Pan. And then they shipped him to Belmont. He had a really good work there a couple days ago. Oh, yeah, um, one of the best. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, that it's just the right spot for the horse. And I think one turn mile and eighth is good for him. So I think he's the morning line favorite, but that race is pretty deep, I think. So I think, 
whoever you bet, you'll probably get a fair price. Yeah, I, I really like them, too, just for the fact that, uh, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, Burton Jones and these proud yeah. citizens who have won two Kentucky Oaks now. Uh, you know, I believe you can by that uh, by that sire who uh, stands at uh, the old Gov's farm. Uh Mm-hmm. They, they just seem to be in a zone right now, and this horse, with, with its training pattern, uh, reminds me of a Believe I Can, and, and you know, throwing out the bullets, and, and and don't forget some of those times Larry Jones is up on that horse, all 180 pounds of him. So, exactly. exactly. Uh, you know, I, I really do like that horse. But w- w- with that stated, and uh, I've got oh about a minute left to break. Uh, you, you know, you stated how you kind of like horses that can kind of track the pace and stuff. I, I'm looking at two horses here that. Again, if I was playing to try, I think I'd keep in there at, at six to one, teeth of the dog, and at uh, seven to two, the lumber guy. What's your read on those two? Uh, the lumber guy, I did include in my exacta. And I have to be honest with you, uh, Mark I was too busy today with Tony Leonard to watch your show, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm not one. stealing any um, ideas here. I did because, uh, quite frankly, um, I would expect him to be on the lead, and uh, you know. Once again, one turn mile and an ace is not the same as two turns, and I think that it would really, really suit him. I just think that <clears throat> Mark Valeski should be close enough, and uh, he's, he, he has some late gas. I think that he can run that horse down. Well, Teeth of the Dog is uh, the only one in here uh, outside of Big Screen that has won at a mile and an eighth. Now, I know he just ran third in the Wood Memorial behind Gemologist and Alpha, who didn't uh, shine a light on themselves in the Derby, but both of them had excuses. Uh, I think this horse, who's trained by Michael Matz, has got to be considered a a contender with Mark Velasquez. I think so, uh, but, you know, Matt said that that, that he's looking at the Preakness, so um, watch the scratch board tomorrow or Saturday, because, uh, if he thinks that the horse can get into the Preakness, I think he's going to run in that. Very interesting. Well, uh, here's what we'll do, Tom. Let's take a little bit of a break and uh, then we're going to come back and we're going to go to your home court. Uh, we're going to go to a track that I'm pretty sure is near near your heart, Monmouth (laughs) Park, that's going to be opening up. So let's take a little bit of a break here on winningponies.com, and we'll be right back with Tom Lomara from the Blood Horse. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. 
your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, Tom Mamara. And while... He is currently a resident of the Bluegrass. Uh, he uh, cut his teeth on the ponies uh, back in the Garden State of New Jersey. And uh, opening up this week is Monmouth Park. And I'd like to know uh, two things, Tom. Number one, your, your recollections of Monmouth going there when you did. And number two, uh, what your perception is of the switch to the large purse uh, two-day meets. Okay, well, um, Monmouth, you know, when I first went, it was probably in the early 80s, and, um, you know, the place is a gem. Uh, It's just a nice racetrack. It's big. It's open. It has a picnic area. It's always been extremely well-maintained, no matter who has run it. Um, you know, Monmouth was a little bit further than the other tracks. You know, I grew up near Philly, so we went to Atlantic City Racecourse uh, Parks, or what, which was Keystone at the time, but it's now Parks. You know, and uh, Delaware Park, uh, the harness tracks around there, which are now shopping malls. But uh, Monmouth was a gem, and um, if anybody listening has never been, it's absolutely worth a trip. Uh, as far as what they're doing there, um, it was more by necessity, but quite frankly, it's worked. You know, running three days a week, higher purses. Um, I think it's like $400,000 uh, per day. Yeah, and they're they're hoping that, it, um, that uh, the handle sustains that. Of course, Monmouth has no slots, no gaming, so um, handle drives those purses. And... Um, but um, I've got to say, the opening day card, 12 races, uh, it's a good card. The fields are pretty good. Stakes is good. So hopefully they'll get off to a good start. Well, it'll be a very, very interesting. Now, um, do you, with what's going on in New York and, and the purse structure there now due to the casino at Aqueduct, do you think that New York's not as threatened by Mammoth's big purse structure? Uh, well, the purses are higher in New York right now. And of course, when Saratoga opens, uh, that might be a problem, but you know what? Um, they've always coexisted fine. You know, they've always run the same dates. Um, Saratoga generally has always had higher purses than Monmouth and it hasn't really been a problem. Um, the last couple of years that Monmouth have been good. Um, I think it'll even out, you know, there's always, Horses, of course, who can't run at Saratoga or they can't get in at Saratoga. So, Mama's a good fallback, and quite frankly, the money's very good. Well, on on opening day, it's not a graded stakes, but uh, seventy five thousand dollars. I'm not sure why they call it the the Cathalon. It being a six furlong race, other right. than <laughs> the Cathalon was a famous racehorse. Well, I think that's it. Um, Mama's names a lot of races for horses, so. I would imagine that that's it. 
It is not the distance. <laughs> no, no. It's a six for a long stake on opening day. No, not at all. Well, right. it, 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 it's for older horses, and, boy, I tried to handicap this race, and I just tell you, I, I'm sitting here scratching my head because I'm seeing a, a lot of horses that, you know, have, have won over $300,000 in that range, one that's won over 600000 uh, but a lot of them seem to have stubbed their toe on their last start. And, uh, you know, coming yeah. in from Belmont, you know, the fairgrounds, uh, Pimlico, uh, they've raced at, uh, Monmouth and Laurel, Keeneland, I mean, Gulfstream Park. I mean, w- w- what a crazy bag of tricks this race is throwing at you. Yeah, it's, it's actually a good field, uh, but you're right. I think, um, you know, um, whoever has the winner may be rewarded. Um, I came up with three horses in the race, uh, Congressional Page. Uh, is one of those horses I believe that ran at Pimlico last time. He sprinted on the grass. Um, not a great trip. His only, his his only lifetime start on the grass, Tom, and he's seven years old. Exactly. Exactly. So my guess is, you know, if the horse hasn't run on the grass yet, ran on the grass last time, it was a fantastic prep. He goes back to Monmouth. Uh, he likes the track. Likes and it. I you can't he won this race last year. Line. Yeah, he's 10 to 1 in the morning line, which I really, really like. And um, I think he's still got some life in him, even though he's up there in age. Um, he's always been consistent. You know, he's got a little bit of speed, but he can close. And um, I came up with him on top. Comadero is another horse. Uh, ran at Keenan last time on Synthetic. Hated it. <laughs> you know, he's a proven dirt horse. And, um, you know, I think... Um, you know, he ran second in his only Monmouth race. I think the dirt, the, the distance fit him. And, again, he may be a decent price, too. So, Well, again, going back to the congressional page, uh, they, they say don't bet against a horse who's never done what he hasn't done. Well, this horse is three for three at Monmouth, uh, and uh, he's a five for nine at the distance. So right. I, I do hope the old guy's got something left in him. Commandero, your second choice. Who are you putting on the bottom of the try, Tom? Uh. Soaring strings, I think I wrote that down correctly, right? Uh, how about soaring stocks in from the fairgrounds by way that's of Gulfstream? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, that's it. <laughs> yes, yeah, he looked pretty good on paper, but uh, I thought the price may be a little bit short. But um, I prefer the other two. But he is my third horse. All right, now we're going to go out. I don't want to disappoint our friends on the West Coast and think we're East Coast bias. Uh, we're going to go to Hollywood Park, which is not only those head scratchers. You know, you, uh, you you throw out a graded stakes race with a hundred thousand dollars, and you can only get four horses to show up. But the horses you got to show up are are awfully awfully evenly matched, particularly uh, when you go back to uh, uh, Drill and American Act uh, back there in the San Vicente at San Anita when they finished a nose apart. I think the key here is. I'm betting whoever Rafael Barano's riding because he's ridden three of the top three horses, and surprisingly, he's uh, picking a horse that's coming out of an optional claimer, Gunboat. Uh, that's who I picked. I'll tell you why I picked that horse. Uh, number one, the jockey. You know, he obviously had a choice. Number two, it's a four-horse field with two horses trained by Bob Baffert. Uh, drill and Gunboat. Gunboat is the longest price on the morning line, so that's where I go because I've gotten burned so many times by, you know, by not using the other horse 
although in a four horse field, I guess there's really no other horse. It'll probably be nine to five, but, um, you know, um, this is one of those races, um, for, for the pick three and the pick four and the pick five and pick six betters single a horse because I don't think you're going to get anything out of an exactor or a win bet. <laughs> no, no you, you, you're really not. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, uh, you got a minute or so here to, to close out the show. Uh, taking a step back now that the Derby's behind us, uh, you know, everybody was talking about how complimentary this three-year-old field is. Do you think things might kind of right themselves uh, in the Preakness and the Belmont and we'll start to see a half a dozen of these horses rise to the top? I do, um, you know, when you go back and you look at horses who maybe had some trouble in the Derby, ran good races, but, you know, were off the board or ran third or second, um, you know, like a fleet Alex, for instance, um, I'm still convinced that he could have won the triple crown because <clears throat> his races in the Preakness and the Belmont were awesome. I, I think we could see that, um, but, you know, it, it's, it's just tough. Um, it's a pretty evenly matched bunch, I think, you know. Um, you know, there isn't a Smarty Jones in there, I can tell you that. No, and, there, uh, so. no doubt about it. Well, it's, it's going to be a, a, a fun uh, year watching ahead. We've got some great uh, older horses, as you saw with Shackelford and Amazombie. Uh, we've got a really talented uh, group of three-year-olds out there. And, Tom, I, I thank you very much for your, your expertise, and uh, I wish Absolutely. you best of luck, and I always uh, look forward to meeting you at a racetrack anytime soon. I hope to see you at River Downs very soon. All right. Come on up here, ladies and gentlemen. That was Tom Lamara, the news editor of The Blood Horse. Well, I want to thank Tom and Jim Gluckson. And I want to remind you to go to winningponies.com. While I like to bring the experts on and talk about the horses, there's some fantastic tools that can get you some big price winners by going to winningponies.com. Well, it's been another great week. We hope you'll tune back in. Again, if you uh, have a friend that wants to listen to the show, these shows are on podcast, so you can uh, listen to them once again. So from high atop the grandstand, overlooking the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky and the home of Claiborne Farm and Tony Leonard, I'm John Engelhart. Remember, when you bring your girlfriend to the races, practice safe bets. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.